season number one, episode number two of Splash Considerations, a San Francisco Giants podcast. My name is Justin Del Santos. Gonna be riding solo this week, but let us not fret because there is a lot of news to cover, beginning with unequivocally the biggest story of last week. This one's kind of a doozy, so buckle in for this one. On Monday, Steve Berman and Dan Brown of The Athletic published an exclusive story that Aubrey Huff will not be invited to the Giants' 10-year anniversary of their 2010 World Series title. The Giants' statement to The Athletic reads as such. Earlier this month, we reached out to Aubrey Huff to let him know he will not be included in the upcoming 2010 World Series championship reunion. Aubrey has made multiple comments on social media that are unacceptable and run counter to the values of our organization. While we appreciate the many contributions that Aubrey made to the 2010 championship season, we stand by our decision. When The Athletic reached out to Huff for a statement, Huff had this to say, quite frankly, shocked, disappointed. If it wasn't for me, they wouldn't be having a reunion. But if they want to stick to their politically correct progressive bullshit, that's fine. Huff learned of the decision three weeks ago when Giants president and CEO Larry Bear called him, informing the former Giant first baseman that the team's board of directors had unanimously voted to decline an invitation. Two days after the Giants issued their statement that Huff would not be invited, Huff reiterated his belief that he was not invited because he was a Trump supporter. According to Henry Shulman of the San Francisco Chronicle, Huff acknowledged that Bear never explicitly told him that he wasn't invited because of his affinity for Trump. In their statement, the Giants didn't cite any specific examples when they referred to the, quote, multiple comments Huff has made on social media, but there are a few that come to mind. On November 25th, 2019, Huff tweeted a photo of himself at a gun range with the caption, Getting my boys trained up on how to use a gun in the unlikely event at Bernie Sanders beats at real Donald Trump in 2020. In which case, knowing how to effectively use a gun under socialism will be a must. By the way, the headshots were theirs. At NRA, at Watch Chad, hashtag Second Amendment. In January, in regards to the situation in Iran, Huff quote-unquote joked about kidnapping Iranian women, tweeting, quote, Let's get a flight over and kidnap about 10 each. We can bring them back here as they fan us and feed us grapes, amongst other things. The tweet was also accompanied with a photo which I honestly don't want to describe. It's uh, pretty vile, incredibly inappropriate, but if you just search it, uh, search it up on Google and you'll, you'll see sort of what <laughs> the photo entails. Uh, another incident worth mentioning is Huff's comments regarding the Giants' hiring of Alyssa Nacken, who became the first female coach in Major League Baseball history. Huff tweeted, I got in trouble for wearing a thong in our own clubhouse when female reporters were present. Can't imagine how it will play out with a full-time female coach running around. This has hashtag me too and hashtag believe all women written all over it, only in at SF Giants. It is worth noting that the team made its decision to not invite Huff prior to this tweet, so it was not taken into consideration in their final decision. Huff went on 95-7 the game to address the whole situation. The first seven minutes of that segment were relatively tame. I say relatively tame very loosely. Huff was kind of hiding behind the shield of locker room talk when asked to defend his comments. Then, as you could kind of expect, things got a little heated. Here's the clip. 
if you don't like my Twitter, don't follow me. If you don't want to interview me, don't call me. That's kind of how I am, brother. I'm not. I'm not following you. I would never follow you. What I wanted was the opportunity today to bring you on the show so we could at least hear your side. And now I'm realizing what a mistake that was. You seem like you have no remorse for any of it. And I'm not saying you should. Your political views are yours. Your views are yours and the First Amendment's your right. But when people get outraged about the things you say when you talk about kidnapping Iranian women, it seems like you don't even bother to try and understand the other side when you want them to understand your side. You sound upset, my friend. Absolutely. It's extraordinarily offensive listening to you. Well, I'm not I'm I'm not one bit sad that you're offended. I'm sorry about that, pal. I can't do nothing about that. I can completely understand why the Giants would want nothing to do with you. It's a shame because we came on today wanting to see your point of view. I came on today thinking, you know what? Maybe this guy, just because it's the Bay Area, they're going too hard on him. That maybe they lean a little too left here and he's getting a bad deal. And now I'm regretting bringing you on because I'm thinking to myself, you know what? He's exactly the turd he makes himself out to be on social media. Hang up on him. We're done. Aubrey Huff, former San Francisco Giant, run that guy. As expected, there have been a lot of reactions to Huff's comments, but the only two that I really want to focus on are Pablo Sandoval and Mike Kruko. On KMBR's Murph and Mac show, Kruko said, quote, I think that Aubrey Huff blew it. I think him not being included is something he needs to take to heart. I don't think it's going to affect the invitation in 20 years should he compose himself a little more responsibly on social media. He had a chance to represent the Giants away from the community even though he's not under contract. I think it's a contract you sign for life. I just think he's been irresponsible and he's paying a price for it. Sandoval, a teammate of Huff on that 2010 championship team, had a similar sentiment saying, It doesn't surprise me. Sometimes you have to see both ways. Other things you can put out there affect your future. I don't have anything against Aubrey. I hope he learns a lesson like I have had to learn. It's part of real life. Sometimes you have to be polite, and you're going to get in trouble for what you post. When Shulman of the Chronicle asked him if he was sad that Huff wouldn't be there, Sandoval said he wouldn't be sad, and mentioned that Huff chastised Sandoval for signing with Boston. Moving on to some much more positive news, a bit of metaphorical sage for this podcast, if you will. The San Francisco Chronicle reported that the Giants will raise salaries for their minor leaguers and institute a first-of-its-kind housing allowance. These changes will cost the organization about $500,000 a year, possibly in the high six figures. Those playing for the AAA Sacramento Rivercats will receive the biggest raises out of all of those in the minor league system. The weekly minimum salary of $502 will increase to $750, which is $50 more than the league's new minimum that begins in 2021. They will also receive a monthly housing allowance of $500. Players for the AA Richmond Flying Squirrels will see their minimum weekly salaries nearly double, going from $350 to $600. They will also receive a monthly $500 housing allowance as well. Those playing for the High A San Jose Giants and the Low A Augusta Green Jackets will see the minimum weekly salary go from $290 to $500. Those in San Jose will not receive a housing allowance, but will be matched with host families. For first-time prospects in Augusta, the Giants will provide free housing. Those playing for the short-season Salem-Kaiser Volcanoes and the Rookie League team will see their salaries go from $290 to $400 a week. Regarding the increase, Zaidi said, This is something I've increasingly felt was an adjustment that makes sense. It's been a topic of conversation for me in the organization, and we moved on it. For us, there's no reason not to do it now instead of waiting another year. 
The Giants' decision to increase its minor leaguers' salaries comes a year before a league-wide initiative to increase minor league salaries in 2021. For those who aren't well-versed on the struggles of minor leaguers, I highly recommend reading up on some of the horror stories that former minor leaguers have released on their experiences in the system. A vast majority of minor leaguers don't receive anything even close to a livable wage, on top of the fact that they only get paid when they work during the season, so more often times than not, they'll have to actually find work outside of baseball once the season ends. One story that really sticks out for me out of the many that I've read is that an entire minor league team, you know, 25 grown men, had to share an entire rotisserie chicken for dinner, so that's kind of the ballpark of what we're operating in here. While I commend the Giants for not only just doing this a year ahead of time, but actually raising the salaries from what the minimum will be in 2021 once this initiative gets instituted, I still believe that there is a lot of work to be done on this front. Uh, from the reporting that I've seen, the Giants are spending somewhere from the $500,000 to the $1 million range. Personally, I would like to see the Giants, as well as other teams, be spending in at the bare minimum, the low millions. And if you're Major League Baseball, I think instead of trying to alter the playoff format or instead of trying to institute the three batter minimum, this is actually an issue which is deserving of getting attention. When minor leaguers don't have to worry about their salaries, they can focus entirely on their craft both during the season and after the season. You ease the mental burden that comes with having to put food on the table, and you ease that physical burden too, because instead of having to work a 9-to-5, you can just focus on your game. To wrap this segment up, I appreciate what the Giants are doing on this front, but more work ultimately has to be done. With the regular season upon us, it's not just spring training season, but projection season. Fangraph's Dave Zimborski released his Zips projections for the 2020 season, and they're kind of what you expect. Zips projects the Giants to win 69 games this season and finish in last place with a 0.8% chance of making the playoffs and a 0% chance of winning the World Series. They have a 2.9% chance at getting the first overall pick in the 2021 draft and are projected to draft 6th. Moving on to the actual players, I'm not going to run through the entire list because that would be numerical overload, but... I'm going to list a couple notable players. Buster Posey is expected to lead the team in war according to Fangraph's way of measuring war. He's projected to have a 273 batting average, a 341 on base percentage, and a 384 slugging percentage. He is projected to be the only Giants position player worth more than two war. After Posey, Mike Yastrzemski and Brandon Belt are projected to have the second highest war among position players with 1.4 each. Yastrzemski is also projected to lead the Giants with 19 home runs. On the pitching side of things, Kevin Gausman, who signed a one-year $9 million contract with the Giants, is expected to accumulate the most war of any Giants pitcher by a wide margin. Zips projects him to be worth 3.0 war. The next highest is Tyler Anderson, who was projected to accumulate 1.4 war. Zips has Gausman totaling a 3.81 ERA over 151 innings, striking out 8.88 and walking 2.50 per 9 innings. Drew Smiley, who is also expected to be in the rotation, is projected to be worth 1.1 war, with a 4.46 ERA over 121 innings. Regarding both Gausman and Smiley, Zips doesn't take into account that both pitchers might become relievers later down the line, which very much altered the numbers that are on the leaderboard as of right now. 
Something worth briefly mentioning is that projections are always going to be on the more conservative side when trying to forecast how a particular player might play. You'll be hard-pressed to find any projection system that has a team winning more than 105 games or having a player that's worth more than 10 war. It's possible that several Giants position players are going to hit have more than 2 war. It's possible that there are several Giants who are going to hit more than 20 home runs. It's possible that the Giants might crack more than 70 wins, etc, etc. That being said, the projections are pretty telling of the state of affairs in San Francisco. If you want to view all the projections, I'll leave a link in the description of this podcast. This next story technically happened last week, but I did want to throw it into the mix. Uh, for the first time in 30 years, the Giants and A's have completed a trade with one another. It wasn't the splashy of trades, but it was a trade nonetheless, and it broke down, as mentioned, almost three decades worth of inactivity between the two clubs. The Giants sent reliever Birch Smith to the A's in exchange for cash considerations. Smith only pitched 8.2 innings in 10 games for the Giants. In those appearances, he only allowed two earned runs, striking out six batters to four walks. Now, this trade isn't necessarily going to refine Oakland's bullpen, but the trade is significant because of how rare it is for these two clubs to make a deal. As I mentioned, the last time that the Giants and the A's completed a trade was on December 4th, 1990. The Giants sent infielder Ernie Riles to the A's in exchange for outfielder Darren Lewis and a player to be named later. And given the current administrations of both front offices, it wouldn't necessarily be surprising if the A's and Giants made a couple more trades. Farhan Zaidi, the Giants' president of baseball operations, worked under Billy Bean several years ago and already has an established relationship with A's general manager David Force. Zaidi and Force worked together as assistant general managers under Bean from 2011 to 2014. The two don't just have a prior relationship as co-workers, but they have cooperated on a trade in the past. In 2016, when Zaidi was the general manager of the Dodgers, he and Force completed a trade that sent Josh Reddick and Rich Hill to Los Angeles. Zaidi cited the two's history as a reason why more trades between the Giants and the A's may happen in due time, saying, quote, When you are talking trades with another team, there's always a little bit of intrigue and you're not sure whether what you're being told is 100% accurate or a misdirection. We've just known each other for so long that there is complete trust. Moving on to something that's not really one singular story, but rather a compilation of multiple snippets that speak to the Giants' willingness to embrace technology and analytics. The following snippets are attributed to friend of the podcast, Kerry Crowley. Tyler Beatty will take a page out of Steven Strasburg's book and aim to lower his fastball usage while relying on his curveball and changeup more frequently. Last season, according to Brooks Baseball, Beatty only threw his curveball about 14% of the time, but opponents hit 151 against the pitch, and Beatty had a whiff rate of about 50%, which is one of the best figures in baseball. Kapler noted that he wanted Beatty to stay with his changeup and curveball even if he didn't have an early feel for it because those pitches are so effective. When the Giants hosted live batting practice on Wednesday, we got a peek into the extent to which the Giants are embracing technology. There were computers that produced real-time spin rates, there were Edgartronic cameras that could capture the grips from pitchers, and a Rhapsodo hitting unit to track exit velocity, launch angle, and spin axis. And finally, during spring training, Jalen Davis will wear a blast sensor. It will track his swing path, and exit velocity, among other things, to help him improve his approach at the plate. All of this will, for the most part, be new for Giants fans, but this is the future of baseball. Numerous organizations have begun to embrace the litany of technology and analytics that are now at their disposal as a means of getting the most out of its players, both the young guys as well as the veterans. 
Uh, for those who are interested in reading up about the new age of baseball and sort of all of this technology as well as some of its pioneers, I highly recommend reading The MVP Machine by Ben Lindbergh and Travis Sochik. It details the way that players and teams over time have tried to maximize potential. The Giants did have a pair of games this weekend, but we'll be saving those games for next week when we have a more in-depth conversation regarding spring training. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Splash Considerations. If you like the podcast, please subscribe and drop a like on SoundCloud or Spotify. We will be on Apple Podcasts shortly enough. You can find me on Twitter at Just Santos. Until next time, peace.